Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join the discussion, email us at yogahour at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and I'll be sharing with you today some insights and practices from the spiritual path of yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization. Yoga is a familiar Sanskrit word today, but not everyone is aware that it refers to union or oneness, bringing our attention and our awareness to consciously rest in our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. Yoga is self-realization and it's not just realizing or knowing this spiritual nature, um, but it is also of course our ability to then live in harmony with it. Today's topic is self-discipline, willpower, and positive change. And when we hear those words, we think, well, of course, who doesn't want more of that um, good stuff, willpower? We're joined today by Kelly McGonigal, the author of The Willpower Instinct, How Self-Control Works, Why It Matters, and What You Can Do to Get More of It. Uh, She's going to be sharing some of her research from her Stanford University course, The Science of Willpower. And we'll take a look at what factors are really involved with our ability to manage stress and make positive changes. Dr. Kelly McGonigal is a health psychologist and lecturer at Stanford University, where she teaches for the School of Medicine's Health Improvement Program and is a senior teacher consultant for the Stanford Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. She's author of uh, Yoga for Pain Relief, Simple Practices to Calm Your Mind and Heal Your Pain, and her recent book that we're going to be drawing from today, The Willpower Instinct. Her website is kellymcgonigal.com. That's M-C-G-O-N-I-G-A-L. Welcome, Kelly. I'm delighted you could join us for the Yoga Hour today. 
Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Let's take a moment to just have a centering meditation before we begin. Let us consciously open our hearts and our minds to divine omnipresence and recognize one reality called by many names as the source and substance of all that is. So as we breathe in, breathe out, just gently and with awareness, and let us recognize that right where we are right now, this divine essence is present. Present as you, as me, as everyone, as everything. It is within us, around us, between us. One life, one power, one presence. So simply become aware of your breath notice its natural flow. Breathing in, breathing out. Cool air entering your nostrils, warmer air flowing out. And as we attend to the breath, for a period of time, then we begin to notice that thoughts and feelings begin to settle. This allows us to become aware of the peace that is always within us, the power that is within us, the depth of our clear awareness. And as we touch this peace, even just briefly this morning, Let us intend for that peace to fill our minds and our bodies and to overflow for all beings everywhere. In the eight-limbed path of spiritual awakening that we find in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra in the second uh, chapter, the second limb of the eight limbs, the Niyamas, offers five virtues to be cultivated. And right there in the middle between contentment and self-inquiry, the third virtue is called tapas or uh, it's commonly translated as self-discipline or even austerity or concentrated discipline. Um, most of us understand the importance of self-control for bringing about positive changes in our lives. Um, but I would also add that uh, most of us also feel that we could use more of that, that somehow we just don't have enough of that quality of, of self-control or willpower. And, and Kelly, I have to say I felt um, 
just like I was taking a good breath of fresh air when I read your book uh, and discovered so much research that you share about our ability to use willpower being greatly enhanced by self-care and compassion. Because so many of us are used to thinking of self-control and self-compassion as being opposed to each other. You know, in other words, that self-control is about, you know, being um, rigid and tough with ourselves. And self-compassion is kind of, you know, looser and being easy on ourselves. So um, you have... You've taken just such a, a beautiful um, approach to helping us better understand how um, self-compassion is actually related to self-control. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, you know, I might start by just by offering a, a little bit of a, a different definition of tapas, the one that I found really helpful, because I think it really informs the way that I think about willpower uh, and the relationship between self-control and self-compassion. And um, I've always liked the the phrase, the willingness to do what matters most, even when it's difficult, or even when some part of you doesn't want to, as a kind of functional definition of tapas. Because growing up in uh, in the yoga community of the 80s and the 90s, there was a lot of emphasis on doing things that were hard, um, sort of independent of the value of, of those activities. And it really, you know, it began to occur to me that, that the most helpful form of tapas is not the willingness to put your energy and attention on anything that's difficult just for the sake of, of um, challenging yourself, but really being able to remember what your core intentions are and your core values are. And it's that particular type of willingness to put forth joyful effort towards something that, that matters that um, describes the way that I think about willpower. Um, and, of course, tapas would never never function without um, the balancing qualities of, of self-inquiry and self-study, supportive community and surrender. And um, I feel like when we start to think about the yoga's approach to um, what's sometimes referred to as self-discipline, from that point of view, it becomes a lot easier to understand the function of self-compassion and how important it is to, to be willing to actually think about what matters most to you uh, mm-hmm. and being able to tap into the inner resources and the outer resources that will support you in that journey. Yeah, I think that is a really helpful way to to look at it. Um, my guru has, has often defined um, dharma as doing what we know we should do, which is very similar in the sense of doing, um, you know, what it, it is that our highest good. For me, you know, my favorite... Um, way of defining self-discipline, really redefining it um, to help people get over the sense of the idea that somehow it's about punishing ourselves, Mm -hmm. is to understand that discipline in its highest sense, tapas in its highest sense, is doing what pleases the soul, Um, doing what really is in in our best interest um, that you know that is is what and in your book you know you 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 help people see that you know you know part of willpower is understanding what it is you really want yes and, i call that you know, want power yeah. and that is a very different way of, of thinking about what it is you want than the way that that many of us are are used to being told what we want uh you know there's so much emphasis on instant gratification or uh, avoiding pain and trying to protect ourselves 
from experiences we think that we don't want to have. Um, and we can go about our lives trying to go after that sort of definition of, of what we want in a way that tends to produce a lot more suffering than actual happiness or contribution to the world. And so even just this idea of, of um, tapping into a, a deeper kind of heartfelt desire, uh, one that has more to do with your particular role in the world as opposed to how can I be most comfortable today um, or, you know, how can, I, how can I find the thing that might be pleasurable in this moment? Um, that is a, it's, it's a strength on its own, and when you look at the science of willpower, you actually see that that's one of the, the best ways to train other aspects of self-control or, um, or motivation. So being in touch with what we deeply desire um, and being, being able to... Um, identify that and I think also, you know, have a felt sense of what the end result of that is like, you know, to really have a, yeah. a, a good, good picture in our minds of, of you know, what it is that we're we're moving towards or we're, or we're calling forth. Um, you know, you, you identify in your book, in a sense, like three powers of willpower, mm-hmm. three, three segments of it that, you know, okay, I will do this, I won't do that, and, mm-hmm. you know, and then being in touch with what you really want. So tell us a little more about that whole picture of how you've mapped it out. Well, so we typically think about self-control, you know, outside of the yoga community as being the ability to resist temptation, right? So maybe there's uh, a cookie that you're trying to not eat because you want to maintain your health or lose weight or maybe you're trying to quit smoking. And so we have this idea that willpower is, is in, you know, in some way stopping ourselves from doing something that might get us into trouble. Um, and that's part of what I call I won't power, uh, I won't power is the ability to actually, first of all, recognize when you're about to do something that is inconsistent with your values and goals uh, and being able to, to recognize what's behind that impulse so that you can slow down uh, and remember your other options and make a decision that is more likely to, uh, to support the things that you care about most. And sometimes I think about um, the, the yamas and the idea of uh, really learning to investigate and recognize the impulses that give rise to destructive behaviors. Um, and that's really how I would describe um, I won't power. It's not just the ability to, like, literally control your hands and control what you put in your mouth, um, but it is this type of mindfulness and awareness that, that actually I'm most tempted to do something that's going to be harmful in the long run when I'm stressed or when I'm lonely or when I'm comparing myself to others and to start to, to recognize what that feels like in the body and what thoughts are present um, and find an alternative way of dealing with that. So that's sort of one part of the triad of willpower. And then there's this other side of, of willpower, which is very close to this idea of tapas, um, or I sometimes use the word willingness to describe I willpower. You know, there's a lot of things in our life that when we think about doing them, maybe we feel some anxiety or a sense of overwhelm or dread. Uh, maybe we trying to avoid conflict or we just think that something is going to be boring. And uh, we need to find the willingness to actually put our energy and attention towards something that otherwise we would just put off or maybe even completely run away from. And I think this side of, of willpower is often um, underappreciated because we're so used to thinking of willpower as self-discipline and, you know, the idea that maybe there's something wrong with us that needs to be controlled and reined in. Um, and I willpower is, you know, a completely different type of strength 
that says it's a kind of courage and a kind of self-trust that allows you to move forward um, even in the face of anxiety or overwhelm. And then we talked about want power as being that thing that really supports both of these, the ability to, to uh, say no or the ability to say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this can be strengthened through all sorts of reflections and, and all sorts of um, intentions, uh, not just to some sort of outcome that you want to see in your life, but I really think the, the most um, useful form of want power uh, are values and processes, uh, uh, understanding the way that you want to be in the world um, as pretty much the only outcome that you can, contr- that you can control mm-hmm. is uh, what you choose to practice and to think about in a sort of daily experience, um, how is it that you want to be in the world? What do you want to put forth? What do you want to be the thing that informs every decision that you make? And that's where things like, like compassion uh, can really become a, another guiding strength. Absolutely, and and that you know on our list of yamas and niyamas is is number one with yeah. with ahimsas. So, um, you know, when you talk about our these elements of willpower, of course, you know what's underneath all of them. You know, I will, I won't, I want is really self awareness. You know, our ability to be aware of what we really want, um, and also, as you mentioned, you know, what's driving our behavior and um some you know be just becoming aware of what our intentions are what our motives are you know underneath um in class this week i was talking about a little bit about Marshall Rosenberg's work with nonviolent communication and, you know, how he's developed this model to help people understand that in order to have truthful speech to practice satya, you, you, you have to bring awareness to what it is you are really intending, what it is you really want in these communications so that you have clarity between, you know, what is going on within, what's going on with your speech, what's going on with your action. And I see the same thing, of course, operating um, with our ability to exercise our willpower. Absolutely. And, and it's awareness of what's going on inside of us. It's uh, a growing awareness of the consequence of our actions and actually appreciating that. And uh, also an awareness of our interdependence. And um, I would say even when we think about this quality of self-awareness, I mean, one of the, the types of awareness that ends up being most helpful in making difficult changes or creating the life that you want is uh, actually a, a kind of a redefining of self itself. I think one of the things that um, can be a very large obstacle to making change or, or cultivating these types of strengths is uh, the way that many of us are used to thinking of the self as a kind of a fixed object that needs to be defended against threats and also um, that is a kind of a constricted experience of the self. You know, one of my um, meditation teachers often talks about having a, an embodied sense that you, you are a giant head and the world revolves around you. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I feel like you, you can actually feel, one of, my, one of my meditation students this week said that she knows that she's in that, that kind of uh, sense of contracted self when it feels like her entire experience is captured behind her forehead. There's mm-hmm. this sense of, of, you know, this like it's incredibly tight and incredibly narrow and incredibly focused on, uh, you know, who I am, what 
I want and what I need and also at the same time what's wrong with me and what do I need to do. And so one of the reasons that yoga and meditation are so helpful for, for making changes is that they give us this direct experience of an expanded sense of self. And we start to recognize that even if we're using words like self-control, it's not that there's some sort of self who needs to be controlled, mm-hmm. um, but that there's um, this other version of self that, that actually becomes a, a kind of wiser guide in navigating the world. Yeah, yeah, that's beautifully um, put. So when we come back from the break, of course, let's talk about meditation. And I think also it would be helpful to talk about um, the neuroscience um, mm-hmm. behind this willpower stuff, the parts of the brain and, and how that's sure. involved. You're listening to The Yoga Hour. Our guest today is Kelly McGonigal. And um, you can find out more about her work on her website, kellymcgonigal.com. We'll be right back with you. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you'll give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the love offerings of listeners to continue operating and expand its outreach. Please visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you. wellness expert dr michelle robin on healthy living in the game of wellness there's some basic habits that you need to embrace in order to live a well life in her book wellness on a shoestring robin shows you that complete wellness of body mind and spirit doesn't have to cost a fortune client eddie penrice turned his health around with dr robin's seven habits for a healthy life i've got to say my body just embraced the change Besides feeling better, looking better, thinking more clearly. Many of Robin's seven habits for a healthy life are simple and free. She offers tips and shares real stories from clients like Eddie, who've incorporated the habits into their lives and seen the results. You can make this change by being convicted that you will do it. That you don't need anyone else's assistance or help to do it. Make this the year you get healthy. Discover a low-cost, attainable path to feeling better than ever. Order wellness on a shoestring today at www.shopunity.org. Unity Online Radio is turning five this year, and we're throwing the biggest bash of all. A cruise to the Caribbean, November 10th through 17th, 2012. We'll celebrate in style aboard Holland America Line's Eurodam, with sunshine, fine dining, and a selection of island excursions at beautiful ports of call in the Eastern Caribbean. Plus, feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation. Your favorite host will be there, and we hope you join us too as we celebrate five years of spiritual programming at Unity Online Radio. For more information, go to www.unity.fm slash cruise. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. 
Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and my guest today is Dr. Kelly McGonigal, author of The Willpower Instinct, How Self-Control Works, Why It Matters, and What You Can Do to Get More of It. Um, we were talking about the different components of uh, willpower, as you've identified them as uh, I will, I won't, and I want in our first segment, and um, we want to take a look in this hour at uh, in this part of the hour, about what the neuroscience is behind what you are calling the willpower instinct. What parts of the brain are getting involved here, and and what can knowing about that uh, do to support us? Yeah, so the best way to think about this is to recognize that um, all humans have one physical brain, but it's like we have two brains or like we have two minds in one package. Uh, and there's this version of the human mind that's sometimes referred to as the, the lizard brain or the, the animal mind. But actually, it's a very helpful human survival instinct to try to protect ourselves in the short term, whether it means you know seeing something yummy and eating it or seeing a mating opportunity and taking it or running away from something that, that seems frightening. Um, so we have this this uh, this part of the brain, and it kind of lives in the, the middle of the brain that is really responsible for our short-term cravings and our immediate desires and uh, and stress, including the fight or flight response. And sometimes we're you know that system of the brain is actually pretty dominant, and that's when we tend to find a very narrow and constrained sense of self and and sense of what it is that we want, um, and often regret the choices that we make in that state of mind. And researchers have recently discovered that um, that the area of the brain behind the forehead, the prefrontal cortex, um, when it's dominant, uh, we have a very different point of view on life, a very different sense of self that is more expanded and more interdependent, recognizing relationships with others. Uh, and what this part of the brain wants when it's dominant is much more um, thinking about long-term consequences as well as remembering big goals, not just uh, immediate survival. And neuroscientists have been able to predict choices that people make based on which one of these two systems is most dominant, the areas right behind the forehead or the areas more in the middle of the brain. And uh, the thing that, um, that I'm particularly excited about from the neuroscience side is understanding how self-care really allows us to be in the state of mind that supports self-control. Things like um, even just getting enough sleep at night. I mean, one of the interesting things about willpower in the brain is that whether because it's more uh, recent from an evolutionary point of view or whether it's just uh, taking more resources of the brain, physical resources of the brain, energy, um, it does seem to be like the first thing that goes when our brains are under-fueled and under-rested. And so by even just getting enough sleep at night, you're actually training the brain to, to be better able to, to, um, to rest in the state that is going to give you access to your own willpower. And, of course, you know, as you know, meditation is another thing that trains the brain and literally increases the size and the connectivity of the systems of the brain that are important for willpower. Yeah, I was really delighted to um, read, and you have so much uh, good research in. And I do want to tell the listeners, too, that Kelly's book, although it's just got a lot of research in it, it's really fun to read. And it's easy to read and um, has some really good exercises in there for putting putting this into practice. Um, 
one of the things that I have noticed over the years, you know, being um, a practitioner and teacher of yoga, is that in the retreat environment, um, willpower. Um, how can I put this? It just it, it it really is in a state of ease um, mm-hmm. for me. Like there's no, you know, there's not. I don't. I don't really have. Is that the I want is in ascendancy? You know, the bigger picture of you know my I, ideal sense of myself and what I want, and being completely in harmony with that, and not having you know to necessarily exercise a sense of you know uh, this power of what I don't want. Um, and I've and I've thought about that a lot, and I think you know there's a lot of factors. You know, one when you're on retreat, it's a sattvic environment. Um, yes. You know, there's and usually... that is underappreciated. I mean, this is a really important insight. And um, one of the things I think we don't appreciate is how much our modern society pulls us out of that balance. Mm-hmm. And even things like technology, things like your phone and being mm-hmm. on the computer. Um, and, and social media and all of that, as much as I love engaging with it, um, it shifts the brain often into the state of immediate survival or needing to, to click the button one more time in order to get a new piece of information, the seeking the novelty. Um, we can end up addicted to this not sattvic environment uh, of technology and just modern busyness. So I think that that insight is, is actually very important in helping people understand why certain things are easier on retreat. Mm-hmm. So what were some of your other hypotheses about the retreat? Well, I thought, uh, you know, of course, of course you're, you're, you're meditating and, um, you know, uh, and generally you're in nature. And so there's mm-hmm. this And nature has medicine. been shown to restore <laughs> depleted willpower, uh, mm-hmm. in part because it gives us access to the expansive um, sense of awareness. Uh, there's some research suggesting even just seeing green or seeing blue sky shifts us into the state of mind. It's as if there, it's as if the awareness of external abundance actually lets our brain kind of like take a deep breath and not focus so much on immediate survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so there's there's nature that is restorative, and of course you're practicing meditation and yoga, and there's um, f- healthy foods that are not highly processed, and um, and there are no electronic devices, mm-hmm. and so you know I, it, it is an ideal uh, kind of environment for a sense of naturally abiding in in what we in what we really want. And, yeah, and you know, uh, I would even add a few things to to that description because and I think I'm really glad you raised this because there are ways to create this in our own lives even when we're not on retreat. I mean, another thing that is um, you know, sometimes we we forget uh that retreats have a very clear intention. And often uh, throughout the retreat, we are coming back through ritual and through practice and through, um, through listening, uh, you know, depending on what's happening on the retreat, to what the core intention is. And um, this, is not, this cannot be underestimated as a, a source of natural willpower, the reflecting on your deep intention and coming back to it and acknowledging it. And also the idea that you're, you're like with a like-minded tribe. And we, we sometimes think of willpower, self-control as being internal, but actually there's a tremendous amount of social control is not the right word, but positive social influence and, and even contagion of goals <laughs> and of motivation and of specific behaviors. And that's been shown in the real world as well, 
that when um, people we care about adopt a positive behavior, we find it much easier to adopt it as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so when we're on that retreat setting, it's like it's just like with practice. Our our own um, our own experience is magnified and then multiplied by the support of community. And uh, and also, you know, one of the one of the things that retreat centers have in common with some other. Um, disciplined settings is they take away a lot of choice that might otherwise kind of preoccupy us. When mm-hmm. do you get up? What do you eat? What's your daily schedule like? <laughs> and by, by taking out that kind of moment-to-moment decision-making, it actually frees up um, our resources to, to uh, apply our willpower to things like investigating our mind and sitting mm-hmm. still or um, reflecting on our intentions and values. So having a regular schedule to the best of our mm-hmm. ability is something that can reduce stress for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think of it in terms of commitments. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be rules that you follow or you get yourself into trouble, but uh, just sort of thinking in advance about the things that you're willing to commit to and then not making it a conversation you have to have in your head every single day. Am I going to exercise or not? Am I going to practice today or not? Um, that there are commitments, just like you don't have to decide when you wake up in the morning, am I still married to my mm-hmm. partner? Um, for someone who's married, I mean, presumably there's a certain level of commitment where you don't have to have that internal dialogue and the pros and cons and do I really feel like being married today? Um, and I think we can sometimes create a schedule for ourselves that, that has that quality of commitment um, so that the inner dialogue is, is not wasted. I, I've certainly had that experience with decisions like being vegan. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's very little inner dialogue about what to eat mm-hmm. because that decision has been made uh, to mm-hmm. a large degree. And mm-hmm. uh, it, the, my experience around food is completely transformed when uh, it's based on uh, value-driven commitments rather than in every moment trying to decide if if, uh, you know, the survival part of my brain thinks it's going to be tasty and if some other part of my brain thinks it's going to help me be healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in, in reading your book, um, you have some really good information in there about how much energy is expended in the brain by, yeah. by having to make those kinds of choices, right? It is. It's literally yeah. energy expensive and our brains get tired. Uh, and it, you know what's fascinating to me is the area of the brain that seems to get tired first is actually an area of the brain that, that supports self-awareness. Uh, and it's right behind that, that most frontal, prefrontal cortex. It's right behind it, and it's actually the part of the brain that connects these two minds, the, the sort of the willpower frontal region and the middle of the brain survival system. And it's an area of the brain that is monitoring our behavior and whether or not it, it's consistent with our goals and predicting the consequences of our choices. And that's the area that seems to um, get tired first. And that's why I think sometimes, you know, we're at the end of the day and we've been, we've been using our willpower all day long and we find ourselves doing something that the next morning we wake up, we're like, why did I do that? Mm-hmm. Who was that? Mm-hmm. And in part it's because, um, you know, when we're tired, when we're stressed out uh, or overwhelmed or, or out of physical energy, Sometimes that, just that understanding how we're going to feel later is very difficult. Mm, exactly. And, and so, you know, in a sense, up front, you know, uh, learning how to take um, care of ourselves so that we um, ideally don't get overtired or overstressed, that, yeah. that these factors can really contribute to um, more predictably helping us 
um, live in the way that we, we truly want to. So let's talk for a few minutes about how meditation um, can can help us um, with our self-control and, and how the brain is, is actually changed by meditation. Um, I think it's so fascinating, you know, of course, in the ancient practices of yoga, thousands of years old, you know, that have people focusing um, attention at the prefrontal cortex. You know, I just mm-hmm. think that is just, just totally fascinating. Yes, yeah. Um, well, so the best research type of meditation is mindfulness meditation, but I will say that um, what I'm going to talk about is probably um, true for a lot of different types of meditation that simply haven't been studied in the laboratory um, quite as much. But the basic idea is that when we sit down with our minds to train them in some way, whether we're focusing our attention on a mantra or the breath, uh, or whether we're cultivating a certain internal state, um, sort of the core understanding now from neuroscience is that whatever you practice, your brain gets better at. And, uh, and when you think about the, the types of mental processes that you are practicing in any type of meditation, they map very well onto the mental processes of willpower. You know, it always begins with intention. You don't just sit down and be like, yeah, I'm practicing, right? I mean, we tend to remember why we're practicing. And so we have a, a moment of setting a clear intention. And then we have to connect that intention with a specific strategy that I'm going to be focusing on my breath today or I'm going to be mentally repeating a mantra or I'm going to be imagining sending loving kindness to people who are suffering, that there's something I'm going to choose to do that is an expression of my intention. Uh, and then we have to, to um, have a kind of inner awareness of whether we're still on path. And uh, research has even looked at one of the skills that developed early on in meditation is the ability to notice when you're off track and come back to your, your task. And there's a kind of neural signature of recognizing your own mind wandering. And uh, rather than sort of getting rid of mind wandering, meditation seems to really train our ability to notice what our mind is doing and when we are moving away from our goal and from our intention. And that, I mean, even if you can just appreciate what that would mean for everyday life and willpower, um, it really is that quality of self-awareness that is, uh, that is keeping our goal in mind and, and, and watching ourselves move away or toward it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, when, again, when you look at um, people who practice for a long period of time, you'll see that these regions of the brain that support these skills are literally bigger, they're denser, um, greater gray matter density, which means like your, your brain cells are more connected to each other, as well as greater white matter density, which means that your, your brain cells are able to communicate more efficiently uh, and faster. And you see these kinds of structural changes that are similar to the kind of changes you would see in a muscle if you were to lift weights. And so I think this idea of what you practice is what you're training and what you are, um, you are teaching yourself to do in a much less effortful way, uh, mm-hmm. even perhaps a more automatic way. Um, and so even the choice of what to practice ends up becoming kind of a, an important thing that we do when we think about what it is that we really need to support ourselves. And I think one of the things that you bring out in your book that's so supportive of people um, finding new new tools for for self awareness and how you talk about meditation, you you actually um, mentioned that it doesn't really take much in terms of the amount of time that you that you will stop and pause, you know, to watch your breath, um, to begin to exercise this muscle, quote unquote. Yeah. Of, I mean, there are, I, you know, attention. it's become 
become a bit of a game for me to see how little you can do and start to see changes in the brain. And I <laughs> thought that I'd found that one study that showed, you know, 11 hours and you can see the changes in the brain. But a study came out since I wrote the book, 5.7 hours of practice on average, and you could see um, the difference in people's brains. And, and that's, not, like, that, that's, that's, that's not five incredible. hours. That's not five hours in one sitting. <laughs> No, 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 not five hours in one sitting. We, although, well, who knows? I don't think that study is, has been done yet. But uh, small doses over a period of weeks and, mm-hmm. and recognizing that there may be a very large gap between the brains of people who have dedicated their lives to practice. I mean, that's certainly true if you put uh, a monk into the brain scanner. Uh, the, the brains of deeply experienced practitioners do tend to look a little different than people who have just begun to practice. But the types of benefits that we're talking about um, are developed very early on in practice, in part because we're not used to practicing these things. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just like if you were to start, you know, if you've never run before and you begin to train, that cardiovascular improvement's going to happen pretty quick because you weren't used to strengthening your heart in that way or asking your body to to do that um, challenge. And our brains are, are equally sensitive and responsive to new challenges. And the and the good news is that when we start um, experiencing those that positive feedback loop, you know, we're more drawn to it. When we come back from the break, um, we'll talk about some other things that can be helpful to us in strengthening our willpower. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and you're listening to the Yoga Hour with special guest Kelly McGonigal. Her website is kellymcgonigal.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. And we'll be right back with you. Daily Word. Inspiration and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. My mind and body are in an ongoing conversation. My body responds to my thoughts and my mind continually receives messages from my body especially when something is out of order. However, I am more than mind and body. I am created in the image and likeness of God. I am first and foremost spirit. As I bring my spiritual awareness into the conversation between mind and body, I keep myself in balance. I know my body and its needs. I nurture it with food and water, rest and exercise. I also send an affirmation of life and renewal to every cell of my being. With spirit-centered thoughts, words, and actions, I claim my true identity as a whole and healthy expression of God, mind, body, and spirit. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? 
Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Reverend Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at yogahour at unity.fm and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien and my guest today is Kelly McGonigal. And we're talking about willpower and the brain and meditation and and really how um, being aware of what it is we really want can be such a support in um, acting and and thinking in ways that are supportive of our of our well being, uh, we we touched on um, meditation, and you mentioned sleep, and um, another uh, magic magic thing that you talk about in in your book for for helping us be clear is exercise. So yeah. that's certainly one that we all um, are aware of, but don't always do. Yes, and you know, uh, people often will say to me, "What do you, uh, you want me to exercise to improve my willpower?" That's what I need willpower for to exercise. <laughs> but uh, sometimes I think understanding the science of how exercise changes the brain and changes um, our nervous system can be just enough motivation to get people started. I mean, it, you know, if you're only motivated by trying to to say lose weight or lower your cholesterol, I can understand why exercise could seem maybe less appealing. Um, but but when you look at um, how exercise actually changes the brain, it's very similar to meditation uh, in terms of the, the outcome, but it's working on a completely different mechanism. And when we physically work out, um, we're actually improving blood flow, not just in our body and through the muscles that are required to, whether it's lift the weights or do a handstand or, or go run around the block. We're actually improving blood flow in the brain. We're actually increasing uh, levels of a chemical that supports growth in the brain, growth of connections between neurons. And uh, so every time we exercise, we're actually increasing the plasticity of the brain as well as the, the brain's efficiency. And this seems to be, for whatever reason, most true in the areas of the brain that we think of as being related to willpower. And the prefrontal cortex um, can very quickly get bigger and better connected from aerobic exercise in the same kind of dose-response relationship as meditation seems to affect that area of the brain. Um, but again, working on a kind of a different mechanism rather than training a particular mental skill, we're literally training the, like the cardiovascular health of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we start to appreciate how exercise is brain training and, um, and is not, not just improving sort of what's below the neck 
um, sometimes it can help people be willing to prioritize it more. But the other reason that exercise is so important for willpower it comes back to this idea that that willpower is sort of fundamentally at odds with the stress response. And we know that exercise changes the way that the brain and the body respond to stress in a way that is really supportive of um, the qualities like courage and willingness uh, as well as um, self-control and self-restraint that we've talked about that physical exercise shifts the, the brain and the body into a more balanced, autonomic uh, state that gives you the energy you need to take action, but also the ability to, to calm down and restrain yourself if you're starting to act out in a way that's more like that, that typical fight-or-flight response. So are you saying that physical exercise um, gives, in a sense, more resilience to... Yes, um, resilience and, and also willpower reserve. One of the things we didn't have a chance to talk about uh, is some of the really interesting science looking at what's going on in your heart and your breath when you're exerting willpower. And there's a, a particular biological signature in, in heart rate and heart rate variability and the synchronization between heart and breathing um, that, that seems to be a kind of reserve of willpower that says that your brain and body can be in this state that supports intentional choice of control. And um, these are also trained by physical exercise and meditation. I mean, there are very few ways to actually um, to put the brain and the body in this state. And uh, I, I'm delighted by the fact that there are things that are all um, part of the, the yoga tradition. I'm sure that that is not a coincidence. Yeah, exactly. You know, be, that coming out of this deep um, self-awareness, right, and self-observation. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit more about the heart um, variability. I found that really interesting um, yeah. a, a, as well. So we're, we're used to thinking of heart rate in terms of health or exercise, but um, there's this measure called heart rate variability uh, that is measuring how much your, your heart rate basically increases when you inhale and decreases when you exhale. And that is a really good thing. It sounds kind of scary, but um, you actually want your heart to have this kind of flexibility in its, in its, uh, in its heart rate, how fast it, it beats, um, in a way that's linked up with your breath because that reflects a balance of sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system activation. And usually what happens when we're stressed out or afraid or exhausted and tired, we get stuck often in a state of, of elevated sympathetic activation. And so, uh, you know, you want your heart to have this kind of flexibility or resilience in it, and, uh, and you want it to be linked up to the breath. And there, when I look at some of the, the most simple breathing techniques um, or breathing kriyas in the yoga tradition, what you see are, are all these techniques that actually increase heart rate variability immediately. You can think of your yoga breathing techniques as being something that, that literally in the moment shifts you into the state that we've been talking about um, all hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think about alternate nostril breathing. For, yeah, for alternate thing, nostril you know. breathing is one of the best. Uh, paced breathing, um, yeah. Basically, the ones you would, you would think of as being uh, the simpler, the ones mm-hmm. that take a little bit less uh, control over your breathing, those are the ones that, that seem to be really best for, for this particular physiological mm-hmm. state. Mm. So like you not know, the breath if, holding for, for long periods of time. <laughs> yeah, it, it it seems like you know when we just sort of come around and look at these factors, um, meditation, exercise, being in touch with what we really want, getting a good night's rest. Um, mm-hmm. These are all kind of basic, take good care of yourself things, right? That yeah. that really 
end up forming the basis of how we can exercise more willpower. Yes, and you know, this is, I think, kind of redefining how it is we think about what is required to pursue what we want. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. And I think what I come back to again and again is that so much of our our culture's um, approach to change or to motivation uh, is driven by self-criticism or mm-hmm. the sense that who we are is at our core, fundamentally broken and not worthy of our trust. And so, you know, when we, when we start to think of it as being self-care, part of what's implicit in that idea is that also at our core are these really amazing virtues and the ability to remember what we care about, that it's, it's not like at our deepest core we are bad creatures who need to be in a cage. Uh, it's that by taking good care of ourselves, we're revealing this other side of our nature that, that actually is completely willing to do what is required um, to, to contribute what we want to contribute to the world. Mm, and that's really um, something that I found throughout your book, this thread of really the importance of compassion, <laughs> self-compassion, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that the more critical we are on ourselves, uh, the more self-critical, the more we try to um, fuel ourselves by guilt and shame, <laughs> the worse it gets. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. if we, and if we're aware, you know, we can actually see that, you know, that feeling um, guilty and bad. Um, usually leads us to the very behaviors um, that are part of that spiral, whereas... Exactly, um, and I'm so glad you use that word that we can feel it. I mean, one of my favorite exercises is just to allow yourself to go to that state of guilt or shame and then check in with your body and see how much energy is available to you in this moment. And mm-hmm. it, it, it often is completely different than the amount of energy that's available when you remember your heartfelt desire. It, it feels completely different, and uh, and you know we're not children who need to be guilted or shamed into controlling ourselves, and that's it's an unfortunate vestige from having uh, having been treated that way when we were little, and our prefrontal cortices had not fully developed, and you know all the other things that come about with maturity. Yeah, and and so I think that our listeners will find your your book like I did to really be a breath of fresh air, um, some good science about how it all works, but um, also this uh, a- agreement with what we find in yoga that it mm-hmm. is the the divine self, as what we would call it, that. Um, we can abide in and arrange conditions so that we're able to be in touch with that. That will be our greatest um, helper. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today on on the Yoga Hour. It's really been a a joy. And I want to invite you to listen in next week for a program on learning to let go and live fully, the practice of non-attachment, Dr. Uh, Kusumita Peterson will be back with us. And I want to remind you um, that you're invited to participate in our Meditation Sit-A-Thon 21 Days for Cultivating Compassion. You'll find a button for that on our homepage at cscenter.org. And remember, we're on on Facebook and it helps to do the like us thing and help get the word out about Yoga Hour. Uh, I look forward to being with you next week. Until then, remember to let your inner light shine into the world and to share your peace and your joy with all that you meet. Bye now. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. Did you know that most of us operate on autopilot and don't even realize it? In fact, psychologists suggest automatic behavior has become the rule of thumb these days. Jesse Harriet wants to talk with you about how to make the switch from barely thriving and functioning to living a fully functioning, conscious, and purposeful life. The all is mind, and so are you. Call in with your questions and comments for Jesse Live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central Time on Living on Purpose, where we blend psychology and ancient wisdom. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Music Speaks Louder Than Words is an inspiring, informative, and fun hour of uplifting, heartfelt music and commentary that delivers a powerful message of love, joy, and oneness. It will keep you smiling and singing along. Your host, Dale Worley, is alive with the Spirit of God each Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, with Music Speaks Louder Than Words. Music, it's the only thing that the whole world listens to. Daily Word, inspiration, and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. My mind and body are in an ongoing conversation. My body responds to my thoughts, and my mind continually receives messages from my body, especially when something is out of order. However, I am more than mind and body. I am created in the image and likeness of God. I am first and foremost spirit. As I bring my spiritual awareness into the conversation between mind and body, I keep myself in balance. I know my body and its needs. I nurture it with food and water, rest and exercise. I also send an affirmation of life and renewal to every cell of my being. With spirit-centered thoughts, words, and actions, 
I claim my true identity as a whole and healthy expression of God, mind, body, and spirit. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. 